Welcome to Living Water Radio. The church is mostly in decline in the West. Why? And what can we do about it? Today, we're going to find out. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister actively focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today, I'm filling in temporarily for pastors in the Los Angeles area, maintaining our yard as my gym, and I'm attempting to learn Mandarin Chinese. We are retired clergy and have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience between the two of us. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. It seems like vandalism has been in the news a lot lately. A British man thought it would be romantic to carve his and his fiancée's initials into the almost 2,000-year-old Colosseum in Rome. Standing stones put in place 7,000 years ago were demolished to make way for a do-it-yourself store in France. A Chinese couple bulldozed a section of the Great Wall of China built 2,000 years ago in order to save some time while working on nearby construction projects. The word vandalism comes from the Vandals, one of the uncivilized tribes that lived north of the Roman Empire, and the hordes that challenged and eventually sacked Rome, making the word Vandal known for needless destruction, especially of art. The Vandals had no interest in civil life, and many people today, I suppose, also think of these same barbarians when they see things like flash mobs brought together by social media for the grab-and-go robbery of a retail business. But they would be wrong. These modern mobs don't arrive from outside of us, but from among us. Rome declined from within. If you visit a mainline church today across denominations, most of the people you see will be older. At the same time, poll after poll finds that young people in general have very positive attitudes toward Jesus, believe in God, and have many traditional beliefs about God. Some say that the church has no relevance to young people because of their perception of its social values. But if that were true, quote, progressive, quote, churches would be booming. They are not. It's not Jesus that is the problem. It's us. We offer little to the world except our church culture, our obvious desire to attract new members to carry on our human traditions and maintain our massive buildings to carry on our legacy. None of these are what the world wants or needs. New people want, from Christianity, to be engaged with something that offers real community, meaning, and purpose. And what we had to offer was the transformative power of God. They want to be a part of receiving the real transcendent power of God that cannot be found anywhere else but through God's church. But the church in the West shows declining interest. For example, when I retired, my family and I spent almost a year as church nomads. We went to a different church almost every week. Most were Lutheran churches. Many were churches of Sally's denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ slash UCC denomination, and some were other kinds of churches. In many of those churches, I could see why someone would want to join them. 
They had a great preacher or a wonderful small groups ministry or a wonderful choir, band, youth program, music program, school, or social ministry. But there was not one where I could see how someone would come to faith in Christ. There were no expectations or preparations for people to come from zero to faith. There were no mechanisms for it at all. I thought of this recently when I read a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and pastor who was martyred by the Nazis during World War II. He had visited the United States in 1930 to 1932, and he made this observation about Christian life in New York. In New York, they preach about virtually everything. Only one thing is not addressed, or is addressed so rarely, that I have as yet been unable to hear it, namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what stands in place of the Christian message? An ethical and social idealism born by a faith in progress that, who knows how, claims the right to call itself Christian. And in the place of the church as the congregation of believers in Christ, there stands the church as a social corporation. Anyone who has seen the weekly program of one of the large New York churches with their daily, indeed almost hourly, events, teas, lectures, concerts, charity events, opportunities for sports, games, bowling, dancing for every age group— Anyone who has become acquainted with the embarrassing nervousness with which the pastor lobbies for membership, that person can well assess the character of such a church. In order to balance out the feeling of inner emptiness that arises now and then, and partly also to refill the church's treasury, some congregations will, if possible, engage an evangelist for a revival once a year. Have things changed much? I don't think so, except that Bonhoeffer's observations about the New York churches of the 1930s have become true of mostly all mainline churches throughout the United States, and that one rarely hears of even an annual revival in at least predominantly white mainline churches anymore, much less of an evangelist. Today's vandals don't come from outside the church, but the inside, and they don't bring swords. They bring bulletin boards. Beinhofer saw the end of the Christian church in the United States almost 100 years ago. Is that what we are seeing today? There are some in the church leadership today who, it seems to me, believe that the church must be destroyed in order to save it. At least that's what I see. Will they rebuild the church? Some have expanded Bonhoeffer's American church life of the 1930s to make the church a social justice agency that uses religious language. Pastors see themselves and are trained as community organizers. Is that the answer? Ross Duthat, a conservative op-ed columnist for the New York Times, wrote a book a few years ago called Bad Religion. In it, he outlined the decline of the Christian church in the West and expressed the opinion that most of the church's wounds had been self-inflicted. At the end of the book, he observes that the church has found itself in decline and facing possible extinction several times in the past, and two things have brought it back, the arts and holy living. Pastor Richard Halverson, the Presbyterian minister and former chaplain of the Senate, once observed In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. 
and finally it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. How does the Church move forward to being a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ today? How does it come alive with the arts and holy living? It will be hard. In fact, it will be impossible for human beings, especially when decline leads to fear, and fear puts us on the defense. It can only come from God. It will most certainly be something new. One of the arguments for starting new churches has been that it's a lot easier to have a baby than to raise the dead. But what will those churches look like, and who will lead them? The church is the body of Christ, and nothing will prevail against it as a whole. I certainly don't think that it needs to be demolished and rebuilt, but it does need some fundamental renovation. Some have said that it's a good thing that the church is dying because God will put something better in its place. I wonder at this, as we have seen other places in the world where the church has gone out of existence, and what of all those people who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ? If that doesn't matter, why did Jesus send his disciples out with the command to evangelize? in what has been known for many generations as the Great Commission, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I think that we'll need to lose the gospel of success, the desperate-by-whatever-means-necessary approach, the homogeneous unit growth principle approach, including monogenerational churches, attractional programming, pandering to whatever's culturally hot, the church's dependence on charismatic small-c pastors, acquiescence to the dominance of youth sports, easy black-and-white approaches to church life, and worship as people-affirming entertainment. In the Gospel reading that will be read in churches all over the world this coming Sunday, Matthew 18:21 to 35 we will hear the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus gives an example of a slave who is forgiven an unimaginable debt to a king, but the slave refuses to forgive a fellow slave for a small debt. That person will be required by the king to repay everything. At the end of this reading, we will hear this in Matthew 18.35. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Does this seem like an uncharacteristically harsh Jesus, fully God and fully human being? I don't think so. I think that Jesus is describing the mechanics of faith. As John writes in 1 John 4, verses 16 to 19, So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. 
We live from the living relationship with the one true living God that has been given to us by Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. God's ultimate display of love, selfless love for humanity, we could not have been given anything greater. We forgive because it is in our born-again DNA. It is natural for we who have received so much to give in turn to others. We forgive because we know that God has forgiven us so much. This is at the heart of what it means to be the church in the world. It is good news. It is what we must proclaim. With it, we'll need to move from the professionalized clergy and democratized laity to something in between, a lean church hierarchy that upends the pyramid, to promoting evangelism as something specific that is built on the transformational relationship with the one true living God for which we were created. Living with paradox such as being both saint and sinner and living under both law and gospel, living from the inside out and not by an authoritarian leader, worshiping in small groups with simple indigenous worship and little to no marketing. Church life needs to mean living as salt and light and leaven in the world, living as a holy priesthood, a people set apart. We say much about our country's polarization, but if our lives don't offer a better option but only mirror it, what do we have to give? Look at the resolutions that are passed at mainline church assemblies and conventions. What do they say to the world about the gospel, about the power of the cross, about the God-transformed life as a superior alternative to the dangers of our time? We only offer our social and political opinions, backed up only by our declining numbers, as a coercive directive to our government officials and legislatures. Raw power, not transcendence, or even a coherent worldview. The world needs, and we have been called to live and proclaim, our message of faith and salvation, the words without which prophecy is incomplete. The world needs hope, not our bulletin boards. We have seen a lot of change over the past decades, and some just write off the decline of the church in the West to those cultural forces. I don't agree. We have offered no resistance. We have offered no alternatives. We allow decline without protests. We go along to get along. We mirror the world's commercialism, its materialism, its competitiveness, and its thirst for popularity and political power. In some corners, we even mirror its violence. We say we haven't, but in practical terms, we have lost our confidence in God to make us into something new, a new creation, a people set apart who live full lives in response to the work of God on the cross. Instead, we have been called, equipped, and sent with a particular message that no one else has been so prepared to proclaim. It is, as Jesus said to Martha in John 11, verses 23 to 26. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com 
or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well and we'll respond to every one. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Avoid crowds if you can. And be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with. Everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <laughs>